Philip converts and baptizes a servant of the Queen of Ethiopia. The salvation offered through the gospel of Christ is freely available to all people. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go down to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does a prophet say this, about himself or about anyone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he, as, as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The psalm appointed for this morning is a partial reading of Psalm 22. Would you please stand as you are able as we sing.
please be seated. Through Jesus, we learn the love of God. Those who seek to abide in the Lord must emulate his forbearance and forgiveness. A reading from the first letter of John. Beloved, let us love one another because God, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide, abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have the boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us, those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me they can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Some branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated, please. So, having heard the second lesson for the second time today, I found myself kind of drifting off in the middle of it and wondering by the time that we were done with it, who exactly loves whom, who abides in whom, what love is anyway. And then reading the gospel, we get that wonderful confusion, abide in me and I and you, which John, of course, is aiming at so that we don't quite know exactly where the boundaries are by the time we're done reading John. So it's about love, it's about who we're supposed to love and how we're supposed to love, but to start with, I want to raise the question of fruitfulness. Um, We're told that the branches that remain in the vine are supposed to be fruitful, become my disciples, bear much fruit. What does it mean to be fruitful? And I want to start with the lesson from Acts. Philip goes on a preaching tour after Stephen is stoned. Um, There's this diaspora from Jerusalem, and many of the Christians go out preaching. Philip is one of them. He goes first to Samaria. Samaria is um, considered by the Jews um, a horrible place. The Samaritans are defective half-breeds. Recall the story of Jesus and the woman at the well who's from Samaria, and what do Jews have to do with Samaritans, she asks him. Um, They were just not to be considered at all. And Philip ends up preaching to them. Many of them are converted. Some folks come down to Jerusalem to see if these are real conversions. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit comes on them. They must be real conversions. And then when that is over, the Spirit tells Philip to go preach to this eunuch in a chariot. Eunuchs were also defective. The law states very clearly that eunuchs are not part of the covenantal congregation. They cannot get into the temple. So this eunuch has come up to Jerusalem from Ethiopia, made quite a trip to get there, only to be turned away at the door. You can't come in. You're defective. Um, The law says it very clearly, both in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Children were considered the way that we were remembered before God. Um, How do you know that you have an everlasting memory before God? You have children who live on your land, who keep your memory alive before God. And so here's this eunuch who's come up to Jerusalem and is turned away. So on his way home, he's reading the prophet Isaiah and the servant song, about the 51st chapter or so, about the sheep before its shearers is mute, um, who has considered his generation, he was taken away, humiliated, all of those things that Isaiah says of the suffering servant. Philip gets into the chariot and the eunuch says, about whom, I ask you, is he speaking, himself or someone else? Of course, the interpretation at the time was that he was speaking about all of Israel, um, but how would, how would the eunuch know that? He hasn't been allowed into the temple. Here is someone who has been humiliated, is reading this prophecy about humiliation and wondering what on earth could be going on. And beginning with this passage, Philip interprets to him the story of Jesus. If you go down three chapters in Isaiah, down to chapter 55, 
Um, as people are coming back from exile, God has the prophet say to the eunuchs, don't worry that you have no children. We will set up an everlasting memorial for you in the temple. People who had been carried away into Babylon had been made eunuchs to serve in the court. This was the hope as people came back. Alas, it wasn't to be. The law stood. Eunuchs were not allowed. And so Philip tells him the story of Jesus. And he asks when he sees water, what is to prevent me from being baptized? And Philip answers, nothing, and baptizes him. Someone who has been shut out of one community is made joyfully a member of another, and we're told he goes on his way rejoicing. Now, the question that I have and isn't answered in the story is what happens to him when he gets back to Ethiopia? Is there a Christian community for him to be a part of? Um, evidently, Luke doesn't care for us to know the answer to that, and we have to make up our own answer. Then we come to the story of the vine and the branches. What does it mean to be fruitful? Clearly, as far as Philip was concerned, it didn't mean having human reproductive powers. This eunuch had them not. Um, although we hear in the Old Testament, be fruitful and multiply, this is the way that we are to, to praise God. But that doesn't matter. So what does it mean to be fruitful for us? When we talk about evangelism in the Episcopal Church, which we aren't often willing to do, but when we do, we assume that it's about getting numbers inside the doors of the church. The one statistic our diocese wants from us all the time is abbreviated ASA, average Sunday attendance, and we know growing churches are, are healthy churches, so we want to get people in the door. That's the wrong way to do evangelism. I've heard it called vampire evangelism. We need new blood. Um, get them in here. Who would want to come to a church like that where you were a warm body? No one. So what does it mean to be fruitful? You've heard me tell the story of Louis and of, of my panic attack there and my recognition and realization that I was dependent on the people who were there to keep me safe and alive. If it had stopped there, it's not a very interesting story. When I got back to St. Louis, I'd have thrown the blankets over my head and said, Whew, safe again, um, and that would have been the end of it. What we did there was, in our daily reflection, come to recognize our dependence on and our connection to Christians around the world, and not just Christians, but everyone around the world, and people here close to home. The branches that are separated from the vine don't bear any fruit. The branches that remain in the vine bear much fruit. We have to recognize our connection to be fruitful people. I've been pushing since I've come back hands-on, face-to-face ministry once a month. I'm wanting my, my stated goal is 30% of the congregation involved in that by the end of this year. We've got a sign-up sheet for folks who are going to Ronald McDonald House um, a week from Friday. That's great. Um, we've got, I think, eight or ten people on the list, and folks are signing up to do other things. I've also said that a piece of that is weekly reflection. What I want us to do is not just go out and meet folks face-to-face, -face, do ministry, but to come back and say, what does it mean for us to be Christian? What do we learn by this? What do we learn about being connected to the vine? being branches within the vine. How do we become fruitful? I don't want our evangelism to be about getting numbers in the church. I want it to be about us changing our identity. 
Part of what makes Advent Advent is that it's about 100 ASA, 100 average Sunday attendance. That's what we like. We like the fact that the rector knows everybody's name. We don't want to grow very big. That's part of our identity. What if we changed our identity? What if our identity became about mission rather than about size? Then we wouldn't care how many people were here then it would be okay if there were more than us because we would be focused on mission. So being fruitful means recognizing our connection to that vine, to everyone else that God intends to be involved in God's community. Eunuchs, all of those shameful people who have been put out, all of those folks that we might want to blame for their circumstances, see they did it to themselves, Ah, but when we meet them, we learn that they're not very different from us. That makes us fruitful. The letter of John says, talking about love and love being from God and all who love are born from God, how can you hate your brother or sister and say that you love God? How can you claim to love God whom you have not seen when you can't love the brother or sister whom you can see? It's really easy to talk about love in the abstract. It's really easy to talk about loving God because God never irritates us. We don't have to live with God in community. But our brothers and sisters do sometimes irritate us. Sometimes we would like to prune them out of the vine. That's not our job. Sometimes there are things that we do to irritate others. Those things may need to be pruned off. And if we begin learning to love people even beyond the walls of this church who might really irritate us, then we learn how to love God. That's what it means to be grafted into the vine. That's what it means to live juicy and sappy and sweet lives, to see our connection to the whole business and know that there's not anyone who's not permissible here and to begin to focus not on who we are as Advent, not on our size, not on anything else that makes us that, but on that mission so that other folks can feel like they can come in and be part of us. That's what it means to live juicy and fruitful and sappy lives. That's what I'm hoping that we aim at, so that we can be part of the vine and be fruitful. Amen.